What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I've got esteemed guest, the Particle Kid, Micah Nelson. Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. Well, it's uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this, man. I'm a huge fan of your music. And um, I think that the best way to start any of you, any interview is to kind of go back to the beginning. So, I mean, my first question is, how old were you when you started playing music? Uh, I was about three years old when I started playing the harmonica and I would... I would play, uh, I would stand next to my dad's harmonica player, Mickey Raphael on Mm -hmm. stage. And, um, you know, Mickey's been playing harmonica with my dad for 60 years. Yeah. And I just, I think I just wanted to be near my dad, you know, but I would be up there on stage next to Mickey playing the harmonica. And, um, everyone thought Mickey was my dad because we both had crazy hair. And, uh, eventually they, started handing me the microphone, you know, take harmonica solos. Ooh. I was just a little toddler. Um, and I didn't, uh, I didn't really, uh, start getting serious about it till much later, but that was, that was my first instrument was the harmonica. It was your first foray into the, the, the world of music was a harmonica. And then yeah. as you got older, did you, did you start out with like, so you started out with the harmonica and then did you move into like percussion instruments or did you go straight into stringed instruments? No, I started with, um, my, my brother picked up the guitar when we were eight or nine or maybe nine and 10. Um, he's, he's 16 months older than me. He picked up the guitar, started getting really into the guitar. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll learn how to play the drums so we can have a band and play mm-hmm. together. So I was the drummer for many years. And occasionally, you know, until we had a bass player, I would, you know, when we we're making home recordings and stuff, I would, we'd, I, I would play the bass part or I'd sing harmonies with him, just experimental recording stuff. But we taught each other music by just jamming the drums and guitar and listening to classic rock and trying to do that. Yeah. Now when it comes to music, obviously I'm, I'm assuming you're all over the place. Like, but what genres like do you draw most of your inspiration from? Um, there's probably something from every genre I could think of that I really like. Um, and, and something that I can't stand, you know, but, um, when I mean, I was raised on oldies music Mm -hmm. mostly, you know, there was always the oldies station playing in the car. And then growing up in the nineties, you heard everything that was happening on the radio during the nineties. Um, so I don't know, I've, I've been influenced pretty randomly by so many different things and I always had music around me of all types um my you know my dad grew up with uh honky tonk music and you know loving singing cowboys and Gene Autry and stuff and and then at the same time he loved Django Reinhardt mm-hmm. um the gypsy jazz guitar stuff so I heard a lot of jazz and um my mom loved uh Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Sly Stone, and Aretha Franklin, and Etta James, and a lot of 
you know, the classic R&B stuff, Motown and Stax stuff, and the oldies station. And then uh, around middle school, uh, or late elementary school, um, I had I had this friend who, um, you know, he ended up being my my <laughs> the friend that that you get into trouble together. And, yeah, you know, you fuck up together and you do lots of drugs and you <laughs> almost die. And, but but he has the best taste in music and he you know he turned me on to so much great music. I remember turned me on to Beck and Weezer and uh, you know. <laughs> the entire soundtrack from office space. We used to, we used to just <laughs> listen over and over again and just seeing every line. Um, he turned me on the flaming lips. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, as I got older, I got really into, there was a whole period there where I listened to nothing but like punk rock and classic rock. Um, you know, Hendrix and the Beatles and the stones and Iggy pop and, um, like, eventually I, I got into Sonic Youth and Radiohead and these kind of bands. And then, then there was a point where, um, you know, because of the internet coming out and MySpace and indie music and people making whatever music they wanted and being able to share it, I, I started discovering these bands like uh, Animal Collective and Arcade Fire and, and, Aphex Twin and Square Pusher, Flying Lotus came later, but um, yeah, all over the the gamut. I just I, I've always loved classical music, um, jazz, you know, Coltrane, Mingus, and Monk. Yeah, Miles. Monk. Yep. Oh yeah. I you know I just I just love music from all over the world. I got really into Talking Heads, which which um, introduced me to. Uh, you know, King Sunny Ade and Fela Kuti. And, uh, hey, man. Hey, sorry. Yeah, you're good, brother. I'm doing an interview right now. Hey, man. Good to see you. Yeah, everyone's downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. You're good. No, no, you're good, man. You're good. So, yeah, I could I could nerd out about music all day long. I just love music from all over the place. And, and uh, actually, my good friend, uh, Tato Melgar, who plays percussion in my brother's band, he's he's like an older brother to me growing up. He's my first drum teacher, and he taught me Afro-Latin, Afro-Cuban root rhythms, yeah. and, you know, just the rudiments of that and on, on hand drums, and then translating that to the drum kit. And I felt like that rhythmic, that roots rhythmic sort of foundation that I learned early on really helped me um, when I wanted to experiment and branch out with playing keys or playing stringed instruments because I could fake it, you know, um, I could play the guitar really percussively and simple stuff, but, but it could be interesting because I could play it with these abstract rhythms and, mm -hmm. um, and kind of figure out how to sit in with people. And um, so having that, roots foundation i think uh has has helped me have the tools to be able to uh collaborate with all different kinds of people and, and appreciate all different kinds of music yeah i so it all it all funnels into my music somewhere you know in some songs like you know if you gave me a song i could probably tell you oh i was borrowing from this and that and seeing what it sounded like mixed together 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, and that's kind of leads me to my, my next question is like, as far as the, you know, your, your process, like what is your artistic process? Like, do, you know, do you have a muse? Like how, how are you creating uh, music generally? Like what, what do you, you know, draw inspiration from other, from other than from, you know, people that have made music before that you like, is there anything else? Oh yeah. Everything. I, I just, uh, I feel like you can write a song about anything, you know, it's like some jalapeno Cheetos here. <laughs> you, you could write a song about how delicious Cheetos are. You know, if you, if you just sat down and decided you wanted to do that. And I think, um, films, you know, film music. I remember um, making home movies when I was younger and still, I, I've always done that. But like, I would take scores from other films. Like I really was into Danny Elfman music and James Newton Howard. And mm-hmm. I would take these scores from films I liked and apply them to my shitty home movies. And suddenly they seemed like these amazing productions you know and it was just the music um, you know i was shooting everything on a little cheap camcorder but but i was blown away at how music suddenly changed the entire feeling of it and um you know sound for sound's sake (laughs) is uh is, is a great starting point. Um, uh, I remember I spent a lot of years growing up on Maui and there would be these birds outside my window every morning mm-hmm. and they had the most psychedelic riffs you could ever imagine. Like, especially this, there's this native bird, the Apapane bird. And I like, just look it up on YouTube cause I couldn't even try to recreate it, but, I would try to play their riffs on the guitar or like figure out how to recreate those patterns. They, you know, they sound like freaky synthesizers and, um, that remain in light record that Bernie Worrell stuff. And, you know, that's, I remember when I heard that, I like, like born under punches, you know, I was like, Oh wow. That's kind of like what I was trying to do. It almost sounded like they kind of tapped into that, mimicking the sounds of nature um nature's really inspiring um i've been into mongolian tuvan throat singing music Wait. groups like hunkor too lately really um i really yeah i love how they just the whole sort of genesis of that type of music was was mimicking sounds of nature whether it was the wind or, or yeah. you know like tigers and frogs or whatever and and there's something so psychedelic about that um that i really appreciate psychedelics uh or have always inspired my songs um you know that that altered state of consciousness and tapping into creativity and drawing it back in and you know, the, the visions or sonic ideas or whatever it 
gifts me in, in those moments. Um, I've, I've always tried to kind of draw from that space and, and create a tangible representation of it in, in music or painting or animation or whatever. There's just, it's like, I feel like the more open we are to inspiration, the more it shows itself to us. I would definitely agree with that. I, when you, when you've taken psychedelics, I've, I've done it and there's been a few times and I'm not musically inclined at all, but I've heard music that I've never heard. When that happens to you, are you immediately like trying to riff and, and take that back into this space? Or, I mean, cause it's happened to sit coincidentally, the same friend that introduced me to you, um, is, uh, We've, we've done a lot of psychedelics together and we both heard music and he would just leave, go to his room and start, you know, strumming. Whereas I can't do anything. I'm just like, man, I wish I could, this is the best song I've ever heard. How can I recreate it? Like, well, so what do you do? How do you capture that? Are you, I mean, I'm sure you can't get them all, but. Yeah. You, you gotta catch them. <laughs> uh, you just try and try and you suck at it for a long time, but you want to, you have to do it. You know, and I, I, I think that's really the only thing that, um, you know, people, I think everyone is inherently creative and, and, you know, some people just are faster learners, I guess. So they, mm -hmm. they're quicker at maybe developing skills, but I think if everyone, you know, um, spent enough time trying to, manifest those ideas eventually they they could you know it's like i think that's the only difference between people who are considered artists and everyone else it's like i've always just had this obsession and this insatiable drive to make stuff and to to like create the, those sounds i hear in my head um and i i I'm not always successful, you know, but I also love the process of trying to do it because sometimes you discover other things while trying to create the thing in your head that you're like, Oh, that's actually a mm -hmm. lot cooler than what I heard in my head. You know, things, things sound different. Um, when you hear them externally than when you hear them intrinsically. Um, and you know, if you're really lucky, you can, you can, get exactly what you hear in your head. But, um, you know, I think that it's just trying to do that over and over again and sucking at it and failing and failing and failing, but, but loving the process so much. It's like, eventually you get pretty good at it. You know, like more confident in like, Oh, I hear this thing in my head. I know how to create that in real life. Um, but it's just a matter of doing it so much that one day you realize, oh, I don't suck at this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, man, yeah. You've got to be addicted to it, and, and just you'll go insane if you don't create it. Um, that's how I feel about it. I'll go insane if I don't do it. Well, I mean, you're you're a very high creative person, right? You you create a lot of things. You, you're more than just a musician. It's my understanding that you, you, you also do film, but you also, all the uh, album work is things that you've created as well. Correct. The, the album 
work, yeah. the artwork. Yeah, the artwork, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 when I first started recording my own music, actually, my sort of mission was to try and make music that sounds to me the way that my artwork looks, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does. You know, I was like, look at a piece of my artwork and it, you know, that in itself sometimes would make me hear sounds and music. And I'd want to create that to like complement this, this work. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it, it really goes beyond all of that too. I just, I love, um, working with my hands and creating things, uh, even if it's working on my house, you know, cleaning the roof with a blower or building, um, a fence or you know, whatever it is, uh, building a table out of wood that I found on the land, you know, I just, I love, uh, learning new skills and then trying to do it and put my own thing on it. Um, YouTube's great for, for that. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. Learning new skills. It is. It's, that's, uh, one of the, the perks of it, right? There's always, always someone that's found a short, like my, um, I have a smoker. It broke down. And uh, sure enough, went on YouTube, found the exact. Bro. I was like, "Man, this is, this is great!" You know, um, great. They'll show you step by step how to fix it. Oh, the cook the cooking videos on YouTube as well, bro. Oh yeah, yeah. that's 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 a that's a game. It's been a game changer for me. So you, I think, also out of out of necessity too of like not really um, <laughs> like wanting to say make a music video to accompany the song that I made or wanting to record this song or whatever. It's like I spent so long teaching myself how to use GarageBand or iMovie or, and then, you know, Final Cut and Logic and Pro Tools and, you know, starting from scratch, just kind of using whatever I had around and making that work because I didn't want to, I didn't have the patience or I just didn't want to have to explain my ideas to other people. And, you know, and I, I actually really love collaborating at the same time, but I also just, there's something about being able to do as much as possible in house, you know, even if it doesn't look like a a Hollywood production, um, it's got a character to it that it just kind of becomes your, aesthetic or your sound after a while of just doing it so much and, and just, you know, wanting to learn how to do it yourself so you can just do it and yeah. not have to call up a bunch of people to do it for you. But it also, you know, because you're, like you said, it becomes more authentically you, it becomes, it, it's, it's like then again, part of the process, right? So you, you're, you're trying to develop a closed loop system, right? in in your art which i think is fascinating and not a lot of people do that makes it makes you more original right so i love it yeah yeah and there's also the aspect of it that you know um when i was really young that you know i wasn't even thinking about music so much i wanted to make films i wanted to direct films and you know be an animator and and i was really into filmmaking and It was just like, just like with music where it's like, I learned the drums and then I learned how to play the bass and then I learned how to record just because 
it was just me and my brother and figuring it out and someone had to do it. You know, I'm the guy learning the program and, you know, knowing all that stuff and having kind of gone through that journey of all of these roles in the band, eventually being, finding myself like, you know, fronting the band. I know how to communicate ideas and relate to everyone else in the band better because I've been the bass player, I've mm-hmm. been the drummer, I've been the engineer, I've been the producer, I've been, you know? So I, I, I understand where they're coming from and it just makes the process quicker and easier and more fluid. Same with like a movie set, you know, it's like, if you want to be a director, how are you going to direct the, the actors or the, the PA or whoever it is, if you've never done that job, you know, it's like, you got to work your way up through all these things so that if you're the guy leading the way, you know what to tell everyone in their language that they understand to, to realize the vision, you know, it's not even about you. It's just like, here's this idea and it's my job to, to, you know, if I can't, realize it myself to to describe it as accurately as possible for you in a way that you can understand it so that you can you know bring your thing to it while while um realizing the the vision i'm a yeah man 100 percent. one one question i definitely want to ask you i'm excited to get your song bullshit when you wrote that is did that have was that pretty much Terrence McKenna's stoned ape theory in song format? It has to be. When I wrote that song, to be honest, <clears throat> it started out as a complete joke. I was just, it was something my wife said. Um, she was my girlfriend at the time, actually, and it was right around, you know, the 2016 election and. And she was reading something and she was just like, everything is bullshit. <laughs> and I had my guitar and I was just like, everything is bullshit. Just to make her laugh, you know? Yeah. And I was playing these chords while I was doing it. I was like, oh, that's kind of catchy, you know? <laughs> everything, everything. And uh, we were at um, uh, Neil, Neil and Daryl's place, Neil Young and, and Daryl Hannah's uh, place for dinner not too long after that hanging out and I was I was showing in my new record and and we were just kind of sharing song ideas and I was like hey listen to this one and I was saying everything 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 is bullshit (laughs) and and Neil's cracking up and he goes keep going keep going you know so I'm like just staying on the b minor and c came out of a bull it landed on the ground, you know, and I'm just kind of stream of consciousness making this shit up. Oh, wow. Just saying stuff to make Neil laugh. Yeah. You know? But then it kind of took that kind of psychedelic goes turn. To this, um, this place where it's no longer just a joke or a cynical thing. No. And it goes through that whole journey. And, you know, to, to really answer your question, absolutely. I, I, especially in high school, I, loved listening to Terrence McKenna. Me too. And I ate a lot of mushrooms and I, you know, I just, uh, inevitably that, that, that kind of narrative was coming through. 
in that moment, um, you know, just kind of wanting to turn this feeling of disparity into actually something that's kind of profound and healing, ultimately, you know, making it a literal thing, <laughs> but then it turns into more a cosmic perspective. Yeah. Um, but it was all pretty much an accident and just coming from a, a just a place of, of wanting to laugh and make people laugh. I, I love that song because that's kind of been my motto for most of my life is like, everything's bullshit. Like business is <laughs> yeah. bullshit. Like a lot of oh, people yeah. are full of shit. Like you can, yeah. it, it just resonated with me. And then it, yeah, it took... one thing about psychedelics is they just cut through the bullshit. They cut through it. They cut through it. They, if you do enough mushrooms, your ego will fucking die. And that's a very scary <laughs> place to be. Like, am I, what am I? I'm nothing. Oh my God, I'm not, you know? And then through that journey, plus oh, the visuals are pretty cool too, but um, you, you can learn something. I had a, one of my best friends, um, he, in college, he had a bunch of acid and he was, he was fucking up. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in his room for, he did a lot. God, I felt 12, 12, 15 hours. Comes out in the morning and is like, guys, I know what I have to do. And we're like, what's that? He's like, I'm getting straight A's this next quarter and I'm turning my life around. And from that day, fucking turned his life around. You know, a few years later, quit drinking and now he's crushing life. But like, they're definitely, psychedelics are definitely a tool to, to reset your brain, right? It, I think it's a giant reset for a lot of people. And there's other you know, plant medicines um, such as Datura, which I've never done, don't want to do, that people go to Mexico yeah, to yeah. deal with addictions is a very mm-hmm. difficult, from what I've heard, a very difficult uh, trip that you're on. And it's very, in, you know, it's, you're, you're going to be very, you're going to journey within and figure out why you are, you know, addicted to something. And, you know, in my opinion, yeah. I think that addiction is, unaddressed trauma from your past that you're, you're, you're trying to escape. Um, yeah, but yeah, man, the, the song was great. Cause it just, it starts out funny, but then it takes a, it takes a left turn and then pretty soon you're just, you're in it. And I really love, I really love that song. Really? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man. It's, 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 I, I never thought that that would be a, you know, become a popular song when I wrote it. Um, so it, I definitely get a kick out of that. People really resonate with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, uh, you're, 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 you're a man of passions, and you know, it's my understanding you're very passionate about maps research. Are you involved in that in any way, or? Um, not, not literally. I mean, I, I donate to them. Yeah, you know, and I, I promote them when I can because I'm a huge supporter and believer in maps yeah i am as well it's decrimin these are the the medicines that we're speaking of are decriminalized in my state now so that's nice up in oregon so that's great yeah, yeah i mean it seems like the the war on drugs is more or less over at this point when it comes to really cracking down on these types of things at least in most of the country and uh i am a fan of the uh, decriminalization approach versus the just legalize it yeah. approach yeah. all at once. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that <clears throat> in a way psychedelics just inherently 
don't really allow for the culture to um, completely commercialize it. You know, just the experience itself for anyone who's had that. It's like, it's not quite the same as like marijuana. You know, it's like that can totally easily be this recreational commercialized thing. But, you know, just like anyone who's had a high dose psychedelic experience that when you go through that, it has such a profound imprint on your whole nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, it's so much to process. Um, and a lot of that involves, um, you know, the opposite of sort of, um, you know, just excessive yeah. capitalization and exploitation and yeah. commercialization of everything. And, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it just informs the need for treating it with respect and yeah. caution and, it lets no, you know um, that we're all connected and that this isn't something yes. that we need to make money off of. This is something that we need to share because we would yes, all, it's medicine. It's medicine. It we would all, all get along. You, you realize that, you know, I am you and you are me. You are, you are me just in another life with a slightly lighter shade of skin. And, you know, we're all yeah. brothers and sisters. It, it really helps you become connected with, you know, it harmonizes. It makes you care about the planet. Like lay down on the ground on a mushroom trip and just like, oh my god, I'm part of this whole fucking planet, man. And we're just hurling through the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. You said it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it makes. I've had some pretty profound trips in like Central Oregon in the Ponderosa Pines, and I was watching. I don't even know if it's real. I do think it's real, right? Like just beams of energy shooting up and down the trees. And then you, you get online, you learn that um, in the ground, right? The soil, there's mycelium that ties each, that sends nutrients to different trees, right? So it's like this neural network that is, it's been, been going on for millions of years. And we've just figured out what the fuck's going on, man. These plants are, the, the mycelium can determine whether it sends nutrients to one tree or whether this tree dies. Like there's this whole ecosystem. We had a scientist uh, on the show years ago, soil science, which we'll probably get into that when we talk about regenerative farming. But, you know, we've got, yes. a, we've got a large problem with our soil, and, you know, we, we haven't taken, we're not the best stewards of the planet, you know, and it's, uh, I guess, well, we'll fuck it. We'll get into it right now. Like it's, it's my understanding that you are, um, a big proponent of regenerative farming. So I, I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I, I, I want to first just, uh, acknowledge how, um, glad I am that you're so aware of mycelium and, and the, you know, the need to realign with fungi, you know, the, the longest living organism on the planet. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Paul Stamets, I'm a, I'm, he's a I'm an apologist. Yep. He, he and this guy, Louis Schwartzberg, who does amazing time-lapse photography, they made this film called Fantastic Fungi. Seen it. Um, you've seen it? Oh, yes. You, I'm just blasting it out there. Whoever's watching this, if you haven't seen that, go on Netflix and watch fantastic fungi. I think it's 
the most important film of the century, probably, for so many reasons, um, including healing soil and the necessity to heal soil for our, you know, our, our survival on this planet and um, regenerative agricultural practices being so crucial in, in, uh, in realigning with, with nature and, you know, instead of trying to dominate it with, with monocultural yeah. factory farming and, and, you know, spraying pesticides on everything and, you know, massive chemical corporations trying to control food production all over the world. Um, I, I've been pretty involved in a, a group on in Hawaii called the uh, Hawaiian Farmers Union mm-hmm. United. Um, I highly recommend becoming a member of that group because what do they do? Uh, well, they're 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 involved in not just you know farmer mentorship programs and regenerative agricultural programs and things like that in Hawaii. They have chapters all over the islands, um, but they're also involved in legislation so they can write policy and influence policy around what gets subsidized and all these types of things, what becomes included in new farm bills and things like that on a federal level. Mm-hmm. Even. And, um, so the more members they have, the, the more influence they have. You don't even have to live in Hawaii. Um, but uh, their, their president, Vincent Mina, is a friend of mine. And uh, I've organized some fundraisers, music concerts and things for, for them. Growing up on Maui, you know, eating food every day and just seeing how much is imported. Mm-hmm. It's insane. You know, you can grow year-round in, in Hawaii. Um the soil is, you know, it, 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 it needs to be, uh, the, the, the microbiome needs to be so much healthier there. And it's been so depleted by decades of sugarcane industry and pineapple industry and, and, and these non-regenerative forms of agriculture there that kills the soil so that it can absorb rainwater. So when it rains, that just creates runoff, oh, kills sure. the coral reefs, you know, all of these things. So having, it, it's like so many issues we talk about with the environment all come down to healthy soil. Yes. And you have that healthy seven to eight inches of topsoil. It can absorb rain, which prevents runoff, which, which makes for more nutritious food and healthier crops. And it, it, it keeps the carbon in the ground, which yeah. is where we want it. Yeah. And cover cropping, growing plants like, um, Clover, hemp, hemp, uh, yeah. you know, hemp is, is a huge carbon sink. It, it sequesters more carbon than trees. I did not um, know that. Acre. Yeah. Like, like one acre of hemp, it, it sequesters the same amount of carbon as an acre of rainforest, except hemp grows, you know, from seed to maturity in like four months and it requires very little water, zero pesticides. Then you can use the entire plant to make food, fuel, fiber, building materials, medicine, you know, it's, it's just got thousands and thousands of uses, bioplastics, batteries, 
bioplastic. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there because I didn't realize that you could make plastic out of hemp. And it's like, we need to do that. I, the other day I bought some food, it was probably like two weeks ago, and it was a it was, it was was a bioplastic. It was like, this is made from hemp. And I was like, fucking fine. Well, that blew my mind. So I got on the internet and I had to Google this. And I was like, we could have plastic. So we could just, I mean, obviously don't litter, but you just chuck in the, and it would just, it would, it would, it would, it's biodegradable. It's yeah, man. Like, Compost. Yeah. So it's, I don't, I, th- I'm very hopeful for the future. I think that we're figuring shit out where, you know, we've, we've decriminalized a lot of these medicines We're we're mm-hmm. fuck William Randolph Hearst. This is all his fault, but we've figured out that hemp is a miracle plant or, I mean, a lot of people knew, but I think that we're going to begin to see massive uh, production of it. It already is happening in Canada and to a lesser degree, mm-hmm. it's happening in the United States. But um, I don't know, like you, you're a little bit more educated on me um, about this issue. Like how are we starting to see like industrial hemp farms in the United States? It's, it's a long game. You know, yeah. we're playing the long game. It's, it's, it's not coming quickly, but it's coming. It's happening. Um, we're seeing more, more companies. The problem is the infrastructure yeah. for industrial hemp um, needs to return to what it was during World War II, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, if you YouTube hemp for victory, you'll get this amazing U.S. government propaganda film from World War II which is encouraging patriots of America to grow hemp for the war effort for ropes and body armor and parachutes. You know, my grandfather was a paratrooper in world war II. His parachute was made of hemp canvas. Yeah. You know, every, every farmer in America was subsidized. Every 4-H club got money from the government to grow hemp. It was basically illegal not to grow it because of its, its miraculous properties industrially. And like you said, that whole history got buried. The, you know, the plastics and big oil and automobile industry and all these things, they, they squashed all of that. But I agree, we're in a very hopeful time right now because people are re-educating themselves about this and recognizing that not only is industrial hemp and pharmaceutical hemp um, you know, multi-million, billion, bajillion, Brazilian dollar <laughs> yeah. industries, you know, you create a, tons of jobs, green jobs, but just by planting this crop, you're, you're phytoremediating soil. You know, you're, it just naturally pulls out toxic metals and radiation from the soil. I did not. And you're that. also sequestering tons and tons of carbon. And so, you know, if our government's really, serious about you know doing all that bringing jobs to america creating a value economy here in in our in our home turf and bringing back local jobs then they need to legalize hemp you know just liberate hemp it's like that's really what we're up against is there's so many stupid regulations that are not backed up by science no. or anything like, you know, if you have 0.3%, 0.03% or something THC in your hemp crop, you have to destroy it. Yeah. It's, it's a drug and it's illegal. And it's like, 
nobody's smoking their hemp, you know, it's like there's weed for that. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's legal in most places. You don't, you know, um, and you're not going to get high anywhere. There's such a small amount of, yeah. you know, so it's like stupid little red tape shit. Like we need to raise the limit to like 3% THC. Yeah. Even that you're not going to get high yeah. from it unless no. you smoke a field of it. Yeah, exactly. But but, um, you know, and who cares anyway? Yeah. Like, why? Okay, people get high all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, but it, it's not about that anymore. I think even people who, it's like either representatives are, are ignorant to all of these facts about it and they're, they grew up with, you know, the devil's lettuce mm-hmm. propaganda and reefer madness and shit. But, you know, and they think it's this countercultural hippie thing, but it's really like, industrial hemp like the founding fathers grew that exactly. like our you know the the pilgrim ships the sails were made of hemp yeah. you know it's like the you know they all grew it and it's it's really just got so many conservative values yeah. built into it you know not just historically but like bringing back um, wealth to rural america you know giving farmers a cash crop again something they can sustain their livelihoods with it's better than corn <clears throat> um yeah, yeah. Or, or cotton. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. cotton uses so many toxic. It's like sixteen percent of the world's toxic pesticides are the cotton industry. Yeah, I mean, so it's like it's a ma- it's about convincing that cotton farmer whose daddy grew cotton and my granddaddy grew cotton and my great granddad. It's like, well, what if you called it a textile farmer? You know, you 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 grow textiles. Yeah. Your your father grew textiles. Your granddaddy grew textiles. You know, what about this textile crop where you don't have to spend any money on pesticides that kill your soil? You don't have to spend all that resources like water and everything that goes into cotton manufacturing um, and make more money and spend do less work and, and with less resources and, and heal your soil at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's just education is key. And then you're also up against who's funding these yes congress people yes big oil so big big chemical companies there's like t- a few things so you know there's a, the, i think what 2 3 years ago there was a law passed where you could transport hemp so we could get it on trucks and whatnot. I think another problem is is because it's an an emerging industry because i have some um some friends that are farmers and they went all mm-hmm. in on hemp but to find buyers for it was really yeah, difficult and very shady. A lot of shade balls within an industry, yep. any new industry, like, you know, you're a member of the music industry in the, you know, what, 60s, 70s, 80s, like you, you, a lot of record labels fucked the artists. There's still a lot of that going on, Spotify and all that shit, right? But so I think yeah. that as it becomes more wide, widespread and adopted, and tactics are made and reputable buyers, I think then people will go out on a limb, but a lot of people got fucked. But I mean, I, I definitely think I, I share, I share your vision and I definitely think it's the crop of the future. You can make better clothes. Like everything's better by far. I think it's just getting to that point, getting the reputable buyers, getting buy-in yeah. and promoting it. It would be nice to get a push from, you know, the government to, to promote this and, and get it going, or at least, you know, raise the that it's going to take all of it it's going to take government federal subsidies and you know the private sector investing yeah. but until the laws are lifted yeah 
you know, people are going to be paranoid about investing because, oh, am I going to get busted for having THC, (laughs) you know, or on top of that, it's also a logistics thing because to process a huge field of hemp, you need a decorticator, which is a very large, very expensive piece of machinery. You know, um, we don't really have many of those anymore and, and we have to have those in order to get your product to a buyer, you know? Yeah. So there's just logistical things, legal things. We're, we're getting there. We're pushing, but you know, your, your, um, your words are so valuable and, and your, your message and your podcast, because everything we're talking about, this is, this is how things change. You know, the culture is having these conversations and it, it gets in people's ear and it, it changes things Yeah, and it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't, but you know, it is, it's a long game. It is a long game. It's, long game. it's about planting seeds and that's kind of the whole ethos of the show, right? Is that there are a lot of really strange ideas out there that aren't mainstream and a lot of them are correct and i wanted there's also a large conversation that is taking place in podcasts and you know across the world with really smart people that i might not otherwise have access to so i was like how the fuck Mm -hmm. do i get involved in these conversations and meeting people and learning. I mean, this is obviously for my listeners, but it's a lot for me because I'm getting every, every podcast, every show I record, I get a little bit smarter. I get a a little bit more aware. I, you know, I'm able to, I think of myself as uh, maybe a piece of a bee, right. And I'm just pollinating different flowers and shit bouncing around. And it's like, Oh, this is, this is some good pollen here. And I'm going to go on to the next one. And, you know, through that, we've kind of built a nice, a nice community of, of human beings and and we made connections and it's been, it's been a fun ride. And, you know, right now I'm talking to motherfucking Mike and Nelson. So it's, it's a wild ride, man. Life is, it's all about effort and it's all about fucking aiming high, man, chasing your dreams. Cause you only have one life to live. You have like, all we have is the present moment. And um, I, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be asleep anymore. I want to be out moving, talking, learning, right? Like that's, I'm going to not here. I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to get off my, I got to get off my soapbox, but Hey, we, no, I, I, I was soaking up every moment of that. <laughs> I love that. So I want to perfectly said, I want to talk uh, a little bit about time capsule. My word on the street is that's dropping tomorrow, man. What is this? Uh, what's this project yeah. mean to you? I mean, how long has it been in the works and just, just let the listeners on. There's also something really cool that you're doing with it. So we'd love to hear it. Well, it's about 32 years in the making. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything that I'm doing right now. But um, no, the, the recordings on the, the, the album, Time Capsule, they're, they're collected from like the past five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, songs and moments that never made it on any record. 
Um, you know, some of them from years ago, some of them from last year, some, you know, and I, I, I wanted to just put it out, you know, when the pandemic started and lockdown happened, we were literally in the studio, you know, making this record or parts of it. And I didn't know it was going to be time capsule then, but I started thinking about how every song we record is like a time capsule. Mm -hmm. You know, every album is this collection of moments captured and we can revisit them forever and, and kind of time travel in a way. Yeah. Every time we hear a piece of music and it's, it's relative, you know, it's subjective, but for each person, certain songs, they bring us back to moments from the past. Yeah. Growing up, listening to, to this song, you know, and then we start to feel that way again, It changes our consciousness and it can remind us of ourselves, you know, all of these, these ideas, um, just made me start thinking about, you know, well, we're making an album right now. The world is fucking crazy right now. Like what is going on? This is very surreal. We're, we're lucky to be in a recording studio right now, like just capturing this moment and then I was like, but you know, that's kind of always the case. It's like, you know, this, this moment is special because this is happening externally and that's inevitably, it's going to be affecting the music, you know, like the songs we recorded during that session were very quick. It was very rushed. Mm -hmm. We did maybe two takes of everything. And sometimes we only did one take. And we, you know, that's what's on the record. Yeah. And it's like, it's very immediate and like a documentary, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then other songs are like, I was in my bedroom and I, on a four track, you know, cassette recorder and, or I was in a hotel room. All I had was a laptop, but the song idea came and I had to capture it. And, you know, um, or, 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 you know, uh, in a really nice studio with a tape machine, mm -hmm. and pro tools and, you know, but, and, and then all of the different friends of people that played on this music, all of these things, like, you know, they, they bring back these memories and these people for me when I hear this music and then for people who weren't there, they're just experiencing the music for the first time, you know, but there's a moment there where they're hearing that music for the first time and it's influencing that moment for them. And that becomes a memory, you know, and eventually I just thought, instead of putting all these different songs, which seemed like from totally different albums, which, cause they were, mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of releasing them as like separate EPs, which was the plan for a while, I just thought, let's just put it all together mm -hmm. on one album and we'll call it time capsule. And it'll just be like a sketchy journal collage of like, like in a time capsule, you put all these different artifacts and memories in them and you can revisit it later. And, uh, and then eventually when 
you know, vinyl was too expensive. No one had any money anyway. And we didn't know if we could sell enough to justify spending the money. And then plus vinyl takes so long to make right now. We're like, what are we going to do? You know, digital and CD. And I thought, well, I'll make time capsules. I'll make some real time capsules. And uh, for a while that was going to be 300 metal, you know, cylinders that you open up. (laughs) So I'm going around to plumbing warehouses trying to find, (laughs) you know, and my manager calls me, he's like, Hey, um, I don't know if we should be sending 300 (laughs) metal pipes in the mail to all of your fans. You know, that might might get a knock on the door that we don't want to answer. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah, you're right. So that, eventually led to the making hempcrete time capsules. Okay. Because I thought, what's a material that stands the test of time? Like hempcrete, it's fireproof. It's, you know, insulating. It'll last a thousand years. Um, and it's it's organic and regenerative. And it the art itself is the message. You know, the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, you know, I've been growing hemp. I know hemp farmers. I can source the hemp from I can chop it up in my wood chipper and I can make, you know, hempcrete. And I took some old light fixtures that had kind of cylinder shape or like, like, um, not cylinders, but like egg shapes. Mm -hmm. And I used them as my molds and I took some mason jars and like, I just figured it out. It took a long time, you know, of trial and error. But, um, it's like what we were talking about. I just, I failed a bunch making these. They they were terrible, you know, until I, realize, oh, I have to do this and I have to make it like that and wait this long for it to cure. And, you know, um, and so there's 20 time capsules and the only way to get a time capsule is to buy one of the lucky CDs that randomly have hidden in them these time tokens. Oh, snap. It has a little QR code on the back. So if you, if you, you're lucky enough, you buy a time capsule CD, you open it up, there might be a time token inside of it and uh, you scan that and then you can redeem that for a, a real time capsule. And inside the time capsule is a thumb drive with all of the music and artwork and videos, of the whole project, a bag of organic hemp seeds that I cultivated myself and a ticket to the concert in 2042. So this ticket is good for, you know, every concert, every Particle Kid concert in the year 2042. So it's something to look forward to and, and, you know, stay alive for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so tell, tell the good people where they can find you on your socials. Uh, You're on tour right now as well, or the tour starting up. Yeah, we're starting, uh, next week in Denver with the flaming lips, April 25th. And we're going to go all around the West coast. And, um, my computer's going to die in a sec. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. If it craps out. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm on Instagram and all that stuff. Particle kid. Particle kid. All right. Well, thank you so much, my man. Um, listen, folks. Great to meet you. Great to meet you too, dude. We'll do it again. We'll do it again, brother. All right, my man. Well, Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,